What's up, Life Center? How we doing? Come on. <laughs> Who's excited to be here? No, I don't normally dress like this. But this is the most wonderful time of the year. There's no stress of buying presents. It's getting warmer. There's no snow, hopefully. Please, God, no more. And it's March Madness. Who likes basketball? I got to have some people here. Who likes basketball? Come on, hands up high. Who likes college better than the NBA? That's right. That's right. That's right. If you're a guest here, we are so glad you're here. We want you to feel comfortable at home, but... Please know we want you to feel Jesus more than anything else in this world because that's why we do what we do. And we're going to have some fun, and we're going to hear some stuff that's going to help us throughout this entire week. But we want you to know that the most important thing you can do in this place is find a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. So we're going to help you get closer to that point and hopefully move you on to that point. But we're starting a brand new series today, and it's March Madness. The madness is about to begin. Most of the tournaments, are the, the conference tournaments are coming up. Selection Sunday is one week from today. Who watches Selection Sunday? Like five of us. Come on, y'all, you're killing me. There's like a meal in the TV, and like it's 30 minutes of who's in and who's out. So we love college basketball in our house, and if, if you're unfamiliar, I'm sorry that you haven't been exposed to this wonderful phenomenon that is college basketball, and this is the end of the season, and college basketball has a tournament unlike any, or if you're from here, a tournament, unlike any other. <laughs> unlike any other, there are 68 teams chosen out of, how many Division One teams are there, 330, something like that? So 68 teams are chosen over four weekends, 67 games, and 19 days for one champion. And anybody can beat anybody in this tournament. David can, not you, and has <laughs> taken out Goliath. So you have four brackets, if you don't know, and each team is seated one through 16. And the most common upset in these brackets is a 12 taking out a 5. It's happened 46 times since this, form, since this format was instituted. And finally, last year, after 135 tries, a number 16 beat a number 1. Who remembers the madness last year? UMBC, yes. South Baltimore. I think she goes there. <laughs> UMBC beat number one seed Virginia in the tournament last year, and it was the biggest upset in the history of college basketball. And there's one game that happened 27 years ago that I'll talk about in two weeks that really still hurts my heart, but we'll talk about it next week, and I still hold a grudge about it, but we have fun filling out brackets and saying which team is going to win. And I encourage you the next, in the next three weeks, wear a college basketball jersey or shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's have fun. Is that okay? Yeah. I'm not saying I'll be dressed like this every week, but hey, today I am. We move forward. Stats from last year. This is how big this thing is. $10 billion, with a B, dollars wagered. $10 billion bet on basketball games. And this is why it's really, truly special. The first weekend of the tournament, on Thursday and Friday, you can actually get out of bed, have breakfast, turn your TV on, and watch basketball and past your bedtime. The NFL can't do that. 
Major League Baseball can, but you'll sleep all day. Sorry, baseball fans. I hug Santiago. He's like, where's the soccer ball? Sorry, this is our time right now. In, in, in a, the first two days of the tournament, each day we have 35 hours broadcast during a 9 to 5 shift on four TV stations. 55.8% of millennials are willing to miss a work deadline to watch March Madness. 98 million video streams will happen during the tournament or tournament. 20% watch March Madness from their office bathroom. <laughs> On the down low, hiding from the boss. But... 16.9% say their boss watches with them. Not in the bathroom, but their boss watches with them. $2.3 billion in lost productivity, and the NCAA will make $8.8 billion from CBS Sports and Turner Broadcasting for the broadcast rights. And the college players get paid zero. Different subject, different time. The teams who make it into the Final Four and make it to the championship game, they see a 300% increase in their merch sales. That's, there's a lot of money. It's madness. It's madness. There's so much that goes into a 40-minute basketball game that we never, ever see. Coaches have a program plan. They have a player plan, and they have a game plan. And today, we're kicking off this series talking about the game plan. There's a cute video about game planning, watch this. All right, you ready? Yeah. All right, Johnny under the rim, Daddy on the wing. Hit me, cut hard to the top. I'm gonna hit you right back to me, got it? Mm -hmm. Sprint into a ball screen, hold your screen. I'm attacking off, pick and roll, out of you, hammer time, Johnny ball game. Got it, let's go, let's go. And that's how it's done. That's a game plan. You draw it up and you execute it. And that's what happens. We've had one of those in my house since, night, uh, since 2000 or 2001. We've had a Nerf hoop somewhere in my house, an over-the-door freestanding, something going on, and my kids playing basketball. It's an amazing thing. But there, there's a game plan, and execution of that plan equals what? A desired result. Now watch a serious video. <laughs> Hi, this is John Calipari from the University of Kentucky. What we're going to talk about on this video is inspiring and coaching today's athletes. And it's different. It's different. Why? So much information coming at these young people. That coaching their mind is just as important as coaching them on the basketball court. Understanding what is coming at them in all directions as important as teaching them how to shoot a jump shot. Understanding how I'm going to bring them together, how I'm going to build team, how I'm going to build unity, is important as teaching them to bounce that ball because it's five players and you want that thing to be a fist, not an open hand. This is a great video for those things. Yeah. If you don't know, that's my favorite team. Just so happens I was born in Kentucky, lived there a long time, and that's my favorite basketball team. So you, you get it. 
My son's got one on too. He likes it too. So as a coach, you want your players to follow a game plan. And you just heard he has this idea of what his program is going to be like. And, and from the program, he selects the players that he wants to recruit. And he recruits those players. He gets them in there. And then he begins to coach them and, and, and shape them into the players that he wants them to be and, and fill the role that he has in mind for them. And as they do that, they mature and they get better and they follow the game plan. And as a coach, you want your players to follow the plan that you put in place. Does that make sense? We, we went to a basketball tournament. If you, don't, if you don't know, I coach high school girls basketball. And we went to a tournament in Ohio two weeks ago. And it was our, our third game. We were playing for third place. And we're up by 23 points, and there's a minute to go. So we're going to win the game. That much is sure. So, uh, you know, it's a Christian tournament, and I'm tournament. And I'm, I'm, they're come, we have the ball come down the court, and I'm yelling, four corners, four corners. Let's just hold the ball, run the clock out, and have mercy on the team. We're up by 23. Well, I've also taught the girls, keep pushing. And apparently they didn't hear me yelling four corners and, and, and five out and, and run the clock out and all this stuff. So what happens? Um, they come down, and, and Karen just strokes a 22-foot three-pointer just under a minute to go. And I'm like, oh, I couldn't be that mad because it was a good shot. But, <laughs> but you want your players to follow the game plan and execute. And it's, when they don't, it's, it's frustrating. There have been times where, where people have hit a shot, and I've been mad because they, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And shot or no shot, it was, a, it was a busted play. You want your players to follow the game plan. And just like, you're like, basketball, basketball. Who hates basketball? It's okay if you raise your hand. I don't care. <laughs> Two of you. Two and a half. It's okay. We're all different. It's okay. So you want to follow the game plan. And as, as we have game plans for players and programs and all these things, I believe, and if you don't believe this, then, then this is where we may have an issue. I believe that God has a specific and definite plan for each of us. Okay? If you don't believe that one, then we can talk. If you don't like college basketball, I don't care. You're not coming to my house for Selection Sunday, but I don't care. I believe God has a specific and a definite plan for each one of us. In Psalm 139, the psalmist said, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Jeremiah 1.5, before I, this is God talking, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God had a plan for you before you were born. Let that sink in for a second. Before you were ever born, God had a plan for you. Psalm 37 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Here's a recap. I knew you before I formed you in your mother. Who feels special right now? You should, because God of glory knew you before you were even a being. That's pretty amazing. The same God who made all the planets, the dirt, the trees, the air, the sky, the birds, the dinosaurs. The same God knew you before you were ever even formed. You created my inner being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This sounds personal. 
And it also sounds very intentional. My steps are ordered. When I fall, I will not fail. I like that. Because I fall. I make mistakes. I mess up. When I fall, I will not fail. He steadies me and he picks me up. That means I'm created for a purpose. But I'm also created on purpose. I'm not an accident. You are not an accident. All your messes don't define you. What defines you is that you are a child of God and his spirit resides in you. And you may mess up and you may fall. But guess what? When you fall, he's there to pick you right back up. And he steadies you. Who's, who's had a, a kid fall in front of him and you, you pick them up and you, you make sure they're steady before you let them go, right? Unless you're sadistic. And then you pick them up and drop them again and watch them fall. You don't do that unless you're really messed up. You pick them up and you put them on their feet. And after they stop doing this, you let them go and they walk on. That's what that scripture means. He picks us up and he steadies us so we can get back on our journey. I'm created for a purpose, but I'm created on purpose. The Bible says I am fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Who feels wonderful? You should, because you're made in the image of God. And God doesn't make mistakes. Somebody should be feeling better already, because you have to understand you're a child of God. And he doesn't make mistakes. You're made on purpose for a purpose. Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Hold on to that one. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He's going to equip you with everything good for just not for being awesome so everybody can know how awesome you are or to feel good about yourself. He equips us with everything good for doing his will. And the work is pleasing to him. He equips me with what I need for doing what he's called me to do. If you've ever heard the voice of God tell you in your life to do something, to go somewhere, to be something, and you feel wholly inadequate. You know what I'm talking about right now because you feel like you see what God is calling you to do. You see what God wants you to do, but you don't feel equipped. You don't feel like you're the right person for the job. Maybe you think your mistakes will keep you from doing what God has called you to do, or you think your mistakes may keep you from being who God has called you to be. No, he equips you to do what he's called you to do. Moses was not equipped to do what God called him to do. God said, Moses, go talk to Pharaoh and get my people out of slavery. For 400 years, they had been slaves. He's like, get them out and take them to the promised land. Moses was not equipped, and he kicked back at God. He's like, listen, who am I? I'm nobody. I can't speak. He gave God all these excuses, and every time he gave God an excuse, God countered with provision. You can give God excuses, and he's going to counter with provision to get past your excuse. But there's going to come to a point that he'll get tired of your excuses just like he did Moses. And he's like, dude, I've already given you this, this, and this. Go to work. Do what I've called you to do. Stop being insecure about my calling in you. Stop being insecure about who you are. Stop being insecure about what you've done because he had killed somebody. David was, he wasn't equipped to do what God called him to do. 
Who feels equipped in here to kill a 10-foot man with a rock? Two of you. You guys are awesome. Goliath was 10 feet tall. That's as tall as a basketball hoop. March Madness. That's how tall that is. And you fill that out into a man. What did he weigh? Five, six hundred pounds? And you had this 17-year-old Jewish kid. Gangly, probably. Thin. Going to kill a 10-foot, five, six-hundred-pound man with a rock in the sling. He wasn't equipped to do what God had called him to do. But he trusted in God. And he took the step of faith. And he did it. We have to acknowledge that God has a plan for our life. We have to acknowledge that he has the game plan that's going to set us up for success and not just us up for success, but give us the strength to be what he's called us to be and benefit the kingdom of God because it's not, a, it's not just about us. It's really about the kingdom of God and what our peace is going to be in that. God does, doesn't give us gifts and talents and abilities and resources just to feel good about ourselves and just to benefit us. He gives us those things to benefit the kingdom of God. We just get to enjoy them. Does that make sense? We get to enjoy them, but they're really for God's use. Follow God's plan for your life. If you heard about Father Abraham, he had many sons. Father Abraham at one time had no kids, and he was old. His wife was old, and God had told him, you will be the father of many nations. Your kids are going to be like the sand on the sea, the stars in the sky. They're going to be too numerous to count. And he's like, God, I don't even have one. How is this going to, I'm, I'm old, how is this going to happen? How is this going to be that I'm going to have millions of descendants when I can't have one kid? And here I am approaching 100 years old, and so is my wife. Y'all, I'm 46 and can't imagine having a baby. I'm like, please, God, no more. My kids are amazing, but I don't have the bandwidth, attention span, nor the energy to chase a kid around. You guys have babies? I will hold them, I will love them, I will kiss them, and I will give them back to you for a diaper change. And they will not get me up at night. That's where I am in life. I love it. But dude is almost 100 and wanting a baby. Times were different, but that's just where, where he was. And he saw God not doing what God said he would do. So he got this idea. Or they, got this, they cooked this idea up together. They had servants. They had people. They had a village. And through all the talking and discussing and scheming and helping God, who's ever helped God before? You think you're helping God in his plan, and you think you're forwarding God's plan, but it's really just you trying to get what you want faster? That was Abraham. And they concocted this plan for him to take another woman. And so Abraham and Hagar had a relationship in the biblical way. And guess who was born? Ishmael was born. But that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was a miracle was going to happen and Sarah was going to have a baby. That was God's plan. But they didn't trust because it was taking too long. And they got impatient. And they wanted to help God. They wanted to help the plan happen instead of letting the plan happen. Impatience can kill you. And I'm a very, very impatient person. But impatience can snare you. It can mess you up. And it can, it can mess up the plans for your life. 
So Abraham and Sarah got together, and, and Hagar was there, and they had Ishmael, and then, and then Isaac came. And you have Isaac, and you have Ishmael, and Isaac was God's provision. He was the one that was going to come all along. They just got impatient, and Ishmael happened first. So now you have Isaac, who is God's line, and you have Ishmael over here. Fast forward a few thousand years. Do you know who you have now? Israel and Palestine. And the war that is over Jerusalem and the war that is over Israel, that's Ishmael and Isaac. Because somebody got impatient and decided to help God with his plan. It got quiet. Because now you're realizing, you hear about the war in the Middle East, and you hear about the Temple Mount, and you hear about Jerusalem and the capital, and our embassy moving there, and you hear all these things in the news. Well, that war happens, and that war has been going on for thousands of years and will never stop because Abraham and Sarah got impatient and wanted to help God with his plan instead of following the one that he had laid out, instead of trusting him and letting him do what he was going to do. That's sobering, isn't it? That's not really laughable because now you realize, you see thousands of years of ramifications of somebody helping God with a plan, not trusting him fully and being impatient and trying to to make things happen instead of letting things unfold. We have to follow God's plan for our lives and trust him. We have to trust him. Imagine God's plan for your life being a straight line from, from here to the straight to the back of the room. Every deviation, every decision we make on our own that doesn't fit the plan takes us right or left of that line. The line is still there. The line hasn't moved. The line hasn't changed. It hasn't disappeared. But when we realize where we are and what we're doing, we can get back to that line. How? By repentance. I deviate over here and I realize I'm, I'm out of God's plan for my life and this isn't benefiting like it's supposed to. And I realize where I am and I, I, go, I go to God, God, I, I apologize, I'm sorry. Help me get back to where I need to be and boom, you're reset back on that line. That's how that works. That's how that works. Repentance recenters me with God's game plan for my life. When I realize I've taken matters into my own hands and I've deviated and I've sinned against him, repentance recenters me with God's plan for my life. Romans 11, 29 says, For God's gifts and his call, God's gifts and his call are what? Irrevocable. That's a mouthful. Say it fast ten times. No, don't. What's that mean? It means God's gifts and God's calling can't be taken away from us. We are who he says we are, even when we make mistakes. Even when we deviate, we are who he says that we are. Are we operating fully like he wants us to? No, but his gifts and his calling cannot be taken away from us. When we make mistakes, his line doesn't shift. It's not erased. It's still there. It's waiting for us to come back to it and resume our journey. That line I have from front to back, I can walk back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Just quickly, boom, 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 boom. But if there's a car here, a game over here, a cool TV over here that I don't need and can't afford, a relationship distraction over here, something going on, I choose to move over and see what's going on here and there and move away from that line. 
it's going to take me longer to get back there than it would if I walked in a straight line. Does that make sense? If I decide to stop at one of these distractions, I will never get back there. I'll remain where I am. God has a definite plan for each one of us. How long that plan takes and what happens on that journey is up to us. If we follow the game plan that he's established for us, we're going to get there sooner and we're going to get there simpler. If we deviate from that plan with distractions and the things that we want, it's going to take longer and it's going to be more troublesome. I don't want troublesome. A coach draws up a plan and asks his players to follow it. Then the five players go onto the court, and if they follow the play, they're typically going to get the result of what the overall strategy is. And what the players may not understand is the coach may call a play that is setting something up three plays from now. He may really want to slash the basket, but if they're playing a tight zone, he's going to put players on the perimeter, and they're going to shoot that zone open. They're going to shoot, and the zone's going to have to open up to cover the perimeter shooters. And when they do that, guess what opens up? The slashing. So they may want to try to slash, 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 but the zone is so tight they can't get in there. But he wants to shoot the way out of that zone so his slasher can get to the basket. And they may not see that. They just want to keep pounding against that zone. But the coach is trying to set them up for success three steps from now, and they can't see that far. You can see how that can relate to God. He may be asking you to set a screen for somebody. Something not very glamorous. He may be doing something in your life right now that isn't getting the result. You want as quickly as you want to see them. He may be telling you no right now because you're simply not ready for what the next step is. Maybe you're at a growth point in your life where it's time for you to move past something into something else, but you're, not, you're really not ready to shift that way yet. Maybe he's doing something that you can't see the benefit of right now in this moment. Understand that, that as, as, as a basketball coach can see three steps ahead, God sees eternity. We think it's a cool thing that a, a coach can look at, at plays and defense and call plays that will bust up a zone or make somebody go into a zone and just manipulate the game by what he calls. We think that's cool. I think that's cool. But when you think, put that in context of who God is and what he plans for us, when he's planned eternity, he's not thinking about just tomorrow. He's thinking about 5,000 years from now. When I'm sure that we'll all be dead by then anyway, but at, by that point, surely we're in heaven by then. He's thinking about eternity and how many people, what he can do in your life, position you here or position you here to affect as many people as you possibly can to get more people in heaven with you and with him. That's his game plan. And pardon me and pardon him if, if our instant gratification isn't covered today because he's setting us up for tomorrow and next week and next month and next year and five years from now, he's setting you up for the things that are coming See, a three-point shot is glamorous. I was watching the Warriors the other night with, with Tristan. And, man, Steph Curry's amazing. And he was just stepping back and dropping bombs. On the move, covered. It doesn't matter. The man can shoot basketball. And polls have proven that the three-point shot is becoming almost as popular as the dunk. In some cases, more. But see, the three-point shot is such a lower percentage shot than a layup. You're going to get 80, 90% of layups. You can shoot 40% from three and be in the Hall of Fame. Serious. You can shoot 
40% from three and be in the Hall of Fame. But a layup, you can get, if you're less than 80%, you're stinking the place up, man. See, you may want to shoot the three to show people how far away you can shoot and how you can hit some shots. And you may hit four out of ten. But the coaches want the easy layup because it's sure points. You may want your gratification right now. You may want your results right in this moment. And God knows I do. Don't think I'm up here talking to you. And this, once again, me and Jesus had some talks through this. <laughs> you may want the results right now. You may want everything to happen right now. And I do. But he may have you doing this just solely to get the easy stuff. And when you do the hard stuff, the low percentage stuff, the stuff that isn't glamorous, that when the easy stuff happens, man, it's cherry picking. When you go five out and the defense has to draw out, man, you got slash after slash after slash. And it's layup after layup and it's just moving. When we do what is inconvenient and we do, what, and we do the hard work, we do the, the heavy lifting to, to get ourselves clean, to, 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 to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things are added to you. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. But it's according to the power that's at work in us. And how do we get the power? Acts 1.8, after the Holy Spirit has come on us. That's how we get the power. So it's, a, it's all about God's Spirit working in us to get the results that we want to see. And it's not just a one-time transaction where we say, all right, I've got this, let's go. It's a process to get us from point A to point B. And understand he's setting you up three, four, five plays from now to get you the results that he wants you to have. You may be frustrated at your current position in your job or your current pay. Don't quit. Be faithful where you are. Be faithful where you are when the time is appropriate. Guess what? God is going to shift things around for you, the promotion, the position, the different opportunities. Something's going to come if you are faithful in God's timing. Not when I want it. God, help me. Am I the only one? I've got to frustrate God a whole lot. Because I'm like, God, where is it? Why hasn't this happened yet? Why don't we have this? <clears throat> this has impacted me today. I hope it impacts you. Maybe you've just been struggling and feeling restless. You've been wondering, why? Why am I not progressing? Why am I not being recognized for what I'm doing? Why do I feel less than? Why do I feel unappreciated or unimportant? Let me say this, back to basketball. The shooter doesn't shoot without the point guard getting him the ball. The point guard can't slash the rim without a screen set by a teammate. You don't get a second chance without somebody crashing the boards and getting a rebound. Every team Every part of the team, every member of the team has a very specific and a very important function. The team will be at a disadvantage if somebody deviates, if somebody goes rogue, or if somebody decides to take a playoff. Who's seen those guys? I about lose my mind. Somebody makes a mistake on the court, and I'm coaching. And they make a mistake, and they just kind of do like this. And while the rest, both teams are running that way, and they're just kind of standing there watching or laughing 
I'm like, it's not funny. <laughs> you think I'm joking? If you make a mistake, it's at that moment where you run harder than anyone else get back and play defense. Not just stand there and throw your hands up or laugh about it because it's not funny. But if you take a playoff, your team suffers because then it's five on four. Just as the basketball team is chosen, assembled, and coached to produce a specific product, so is the body of Christ. So is the body of Christ. Romans, I got to hurry now. Romans 12, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then do it. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Let me rewrite the beginning of that. Just as a basketball team is one team with many players and they have different positions and functions, so in Christ do we. There are, the one is a point guard, the two is a shooting guard, the three is a small forward, the four is a power forward, and the five is a center. That's five different positions on the court at the same time. They all do different things. And then you have eight more on the bench to support them that play those different roles as well. But they have one function to run the play. They have one function to run the play, to be successful, to execute what they've been taught in practice. We are a motley crew of different people. I believe we mirror the disciples that Jesus chose. Different people, rough and smooth, refined and not. That's what this group represents. And he used those 12 people to turn the world upside down. We have people from all different races and backgrounds and, and economic histories and all those things all in the same room worshiping the same God together. And he's called us here for a specific purpose, and we all have a piece to play in what God wants to do here. I was talking to somebody before church in the parking lot about resurfacing that parking lot. Some of you would have no clue where to start, but he's like, I got this. <laughs> I'm like, you go with that. <laughs> that's my point. Some of y'all have no idea what I just said, <laughs> and that's Okay. Because if we want to talk accounting, I may not know what you got to say. I was listening to Amy last night talk about what she does for, for uh, Exelon, and she's talking about uh, the, all the, the different stuff she manages, and I'm, I'm like, okay, that sounds cool. <laughs> and she's talking about speaking in front of this room. I'm like, how many people? She's like, 300. I'm like, whoa, hello. You go. But we all do different things. But we're here for one purpose. That's to affect the kingdom of God. Not just so we can be saved. Not just so we can feel better about ourselves. We're here to give our gifts, our talents, and our treasure. There's a portion of that scripture I just read. If you're a giver, then give. If that's what God has called you to do, then do it. You understand that you have to have to give, and you will never give everything away and not get refilled back if you're a giver. Does that make sense? We're part of the body of Christ, and we've each got a part to play in what is done in this community. If you're born in this church, 
this is home and we're thankful and we're glad you're here. If you moved here, I believe it was God sending a piece that we needed for what he's planning. I believe that. If you're new here, God's doing something in your life. Follow where God is taking you. God doesn't do things by accident or by chance. He's not a coincidental God. Things don't just happen. Things are happening right now that he put into motion 10, 15, 25 years ago. In America, we don't like the long game. We like the short game. We like the gratification right now. In this moment, where is it? Show me the money. We eat popcorn full of cancer because we can't wait five minutes. We want two. We want our stuff right now. And if we follow God's game plan for our life, we're going to realize what that is. It's going to be to your benefit. You will succeed because of what God's plan is for your life, but also so will the kingdom of God, and that's the entire point and the entire purpose. Philippians 1.6 is being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, the Christ Jesus. Until he steps foot and calls us home, he will complete what he has started in you. So don't feel unappreciated. Don't feel unimportant. Don't feel isolated. Don't feel like you can't do this. Don't feel like you don't deserve this because what God has for you, he has for you, and it can't be taken away from you. But we have to follow his plan to get it. He's not going to give it to you if you're over here doing something you're not supposed to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We have to follow the plan to get the benefits. Does that make sense? We've got to follow the plan to get the benefits. Allow God to make you the best whoever you are. If you're an accountant, pray that God makes numbers shine like, the, like a, a brilliant mind. Or a beautiful mind, whatever that movie was. Yeah, like that. Where numbers just jump off the page and you're able to, to complete things quickly and accurately. And you're able to shine and be the best accountant in your company. If you're a teacher, you're an amazing person. It takes a special kind of person to teach, especially in today's world. Pray that God gives you love for the kids so you can minister to them and show them love because you may be the only love that they ever feel. Be the best teacher that you can be. If you dig holes for a living... Pray God give you a sharp shovel and a strong back. And the edges of your holes that you dig are so perfect that you get promoted. I'm dead serious. If you ride the back of a trash truck, pray that God gives you good backs and knees so that you can jump off that truck and get that trash and throw it in there and get back on and I'll get ran over. What's my point? Whatever you are, whoever you are, ask that God make you the best one that your company has ever seen and that you have work ethic that makes you shine and rise above everyone else. Why? Because you are made in the image of God. You are his image bearer and you are the representation of Jesus Christ in this world. And the whole point is to share him with everybody else, not for you to be a rock star. You just get the benefit of who he is and what he does through you. you get, as he elevates you, 
as he promotes you, as he blesses you, and as you walk in favor because of who he is in your life, you get the benefit of that. You rise above. You get the position. You get the raise. You get the good things in life because you've been faithful and you followed his plan and you're a child of God and you bear his image and you're not just a Christian in these walls for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. You don't just hug people when you're in these walls on a Sunday morning or in the NA meeting on Sunday night. You don't just show people love then. You show people love every single day of the week. You're considerate every single day of the week. You watch your mouth every single day of the week. You cherish your spouse every single day of the week. Y'all, this stuff is hard. Without him, it's impossible. Without him, it's impossible. But I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things. It may feel impossible. It may feel like nobody sees what I'm doing. But if I keep doing it, it doesn't matter who sees because God sees. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will. Everybody say we will. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we don't stop. If we don't quit. If, we're, if we don't fall back on what we told God that we're going to do in the first place. Don't give up. You may not see all the results that you would like yet, but they're coming. They are going to happen. You will because he's not finished yet. Because he will finish the good thing that he started in you. That's who he is. Oh, y'all, this is awesome. Does anybody feel lighter? Does anybody feel more empowered? Like you can do what God has called you to do. And you can be who God has called you. It doesn't matter how many times you messed up. Because nobody can take away what God has promised you. Nobody can tell you that you can't be who God has called you to be. Because you can. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your race is. It, it, doesn't, it just simply does not matter. The only thing that matters is who he says that you are and what he's called you to do. You may not feel equipped, but he will equip you. You may have an image problem. You need to look at who he said you are. You are the head and not the tail. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not below. Does that make sense? You are made in the image of God. You are his chosen, chosen. You're a child of God. His spirit resides in us. There's no more temple where people go to worship. Know you not that your body is the temple of God. When you're in Walmart, God is in Walmart. Walmart's a crazy place, y'all. But when you're there, guess who's there? God is there. When you're three feet deep in a hole, guess where God is? Three feet deep in a hole. When you're crunching numbers and your head is splitting wide open, guess where God is? Right there. When you're taking a test and you have no idea what's going to happen or what's on that test, guess where God is? Right there. He goes before you and he makes the way straight because he's called you to be in that place where you are. He's asked you to do what you're doing and he will give you the strength to do it and he will equip you when the time comes for you to take that next step. He will equip you, but you gotta follow the plan. You can't decide that you wanna be a shooter when you're supposed to set a screen because it's all gonna fall apart. You can't decide you wanna watch from the elbow when you're supposed to be getting a rebound. 
You can't do it. You got to be in the game and you've got to follow the plan and it's all going to work out. Let's follow the game plan. Let's follow the game plan because we call March madness, but in reality, life is madness. Life is madness, y'all. It's crazy out there. It's crazy in here sometimes. But if we follow the plan, we're all going to win together. How are we going to win together? The seat that's empty next to you won't be empty anymore. Because your life's going to affect somebody. They're going to see the hope and the promise in you. And they're going to want some of that. And they're going to follow you to that place of repentance. They're going to follow you to that place of salvation. And they're going to, they're going to have their life changed. And they're going to have 50 people they can affect. And that's how it works. <laughs>